Just leave your Bibles open there to Nehemiah chapter 1. Most of us are familiar what with uh, the term blueprint. Blueprint is a technical drawing that a builder uses to build a building. It, it's a draft or a design. You would look at the draft and then you'd go and, and try to replicate what's on the draft and put it on a piece of land. Blueprint actually is now a, a dated term. They, they don't use blueprints with the technology advances that they have today, but every builder who builds a building looks at some sort of print and then tries to construct that from the plan. There's you're always going from a plan to a product. And when we now are moving into this next five weeks as a transition into the building campaign, I anticipate this being one of the most exciting and one of the most nerve wracking and one of the most faith building experiences that we'll have together as a body at Christ Community Church. And I thought it would be helpful to look at Nehemiah's building project and his rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. As I said, the book of Nehemiah and Ezra were originally written as one book. The two men were contemporaries of each other and they were part of this migration. Uh, The people were moving back into Israel Ezra is a priest, and so if you read through Ezra appropriately, it's about the building of the temple and what takes place in the temple. If you read Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a businessman. Nehemiah gets called from the king's quarters to take on a monumental task, and that's the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem. If you read in chapter 6, you would see that the, the walls are completed in 52 days. It's remarkable. And so if Nehemiah lived today, certainly there would be shelves full of books about leadership styles of Nehemiah and how he conquered something in such a little bit of time. And so we want to we want to examine the businessman's blueprint. We want to review the steps that he went through to rebuild the wall. And so we can look at that process and begin to appropriate some of that process to our own thinking in the building that we're going to undertake. Now, you'll notice that there's a little insert and there will be one for the next five weeks that you can use and take home. You can take the substance of the sermon and then you go home and process this yourself or you process this with your family. There'll be questions for you to consider. And I would just want you to take those and keep them together and somehow And it'd be a great way for you to move through the process, the building process with your family or just going through it yourself. The reason I want you to do that is I want us to be thinking about what we're doing to build the kingdom of God. I don't want us to think about what we're doing just to build a building that that's not big enough. That that call is not the call that we've been called here for to build a building, no matter how big or how small it may be. That's not the call on Christ Community Church. The call on Christ Community Church is to be a part of building the kingdom of God. And so when we think about our participation, these little um, pieces of paper will help you begin to process that. So we're going to examine five things here and you'll see them on your outline where we're going to look at Nehemiah's passion. We're going to look at his prayer and fasting. 
Another line in the diagram is going to be his planning. And the final piece that we're going to talk about is participation, specifically the people's participation in building the wall. Let's get a little bit of background here, because Nehemiah and Ezra particularly would be pretty unfamiliar books. If you go back to Genesis one and two, what you read and what you know is that God brought his people out of the dust of the earth and he put them in a good land. The Garden of Eden. The garden was a place where God could walk with men and they could hear his voice and they could be together with their creator. But when you turn to Genesis chapter three, you see that man walked away from God. And one of the consequences of that is that the people of God, Adam and Eve, were driven out of the land. When you turn to the history of Israel, you see a very similar thing happening here. God has brought his people out of the dust of Egypt, the dust of the desert, and he's leading them into a good land. Remember the description of the land, the land that flows with milk and honey. This is a great place to go, the land of Canaan. And you'll read through the Old Testament and the constant call is God saying um, that I want to be with you. I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. I'm going to live again in this garden like way amongst you. And in the Exodus class, Greg's going to do this so well that the surprising part about Exodus is that the tabernacle is going to be amongst the people that God isn't just sending his people out on some sort of mission. He's in amongst the people. He's made a covenant with the people. And, you know, in the Ark of the Covenant, there's these two tablets. One tablet represents the covenant for the people. And what does the other tablet represent? The covenant of God. And typically when you make a covenant, the two people would make an agreement and one would take their writing and go their way. And the other would take their writing and go the other way. And God's saying, no, put the both of them together because we're going together out into this great land. I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. Well, you know that it didn't go well. People walked away from God. And we see this sad chronology. If you look again in Second Chronicles 36, verse 15, the Lord, the God of their fathers, he sent persistently to them messengers. He had this great compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers. They despised the words. They scoffed the prophets until God's wrath rose up against the people. There was no no remedy. And then he brought uh, the Assyrians and the Babylonians in to destroy the people of Israel. And we see it towards the end. They burned the temple of God and they broke down the walls of Jerusalem. In 586, the temple was burned, the walls were broken down, and the people were scattered all across the nations. Which brings us to Nehemiah chapter 1. Now we're fast forwarding in history some 140 years when we get to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah is living 800 miles away from Jerusalem in modern day Iraq. He gets a report back from some friends concerning the condition of the people and the condition of the city. 
It's not a good report. The remnant there, the people who have survived, they're in disgrace, they're in trouble, they're in shame. The, the city walls were as important as having an army. If you didn't have the city walls, there was no way to protect God's people from constant outside battle. And so even though Ezra had come back and the temple had been, been restructed, uh, rebuilt, the people of God were constantly being fought over and being uh, put to shame. So that's the report. And then we get to Nehemiah and Nehemiah begins and you begin to see this. He thinks like a businessman. So if you're a businessman here, you can get into the head of Nehemiah. How am I going to participate in the problem that I'm hearing about? And we're going to look at four lines in his blueprint. The first one we see in chapter one, verse four, his passion. As soon as I heard these words, as soon as my friends came back and told me about the condition of the city, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. When I heard about the trouble that people were in, my first response was to sit down and weep. One of the phrases that exposes this businessman's heart is right here. You begin to see that Nehemiah isn't just about his business. He's about God's business first. And when he begins to hear the condition of the people, the first his first reaction is to weep for his people. Nehemiah is in a very important position. He's called a cupbearer to the king. And it's not just a waiter or a butler. It's somebody who with the king would uh, have drink from the cup or maybe eat from the plate to make sure that if anybody was out to get the king and he was going to poison the king, guess who got it first? The cupbearer. And so that'd be a tough assignment. But also because of that, there was this great intimacy that happened between the king and the cupbearer. And these two people became very friendly to each other. And the king begins to lean on the cupbearer's advice. He hears everything that's going on in the king's quarter. So he has a great position. He's very important. But his heart is torn, torn about the people's condition before God. So we see here not only Nehemiah's passion, but we see his priority. Which again remind, gives us this picture of Jesus. Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Remember on the triumphal entry? Everybody's singing his praises like it's a big parade. And when you look and turn to Jesus, what's Jesus doing? He's not just riding on a donkey. What is he doing? He's weeping. Everybody else is in some great celebration. But Jesus sees the condition of the people and his heart breaks and he's weeping over the condition of the city and of the people. A week later, Jesus enters the Garden of Gethsemane and we begin not only to know his passion, but his priority, just like Nehemiah. Nehemiah's passion was for his people and his priority was to do what God wanted him to do, not what he wanted to do. Jesus' passion was for his people. And then we see in the Garden of the Gethsemane, his priority was to do what God wanted him to do, not what he wanted to do.
So he gets to the garden of Gethsemane. And what does he say? Not my will be done, but yours be done. Twenty years ago. I remember going to my first Young Life leadership meeting. I had just become a volunteer. And I was thinking, boy, Young Life was fun was I, when I was in high school. And I'd been to a few Young Life functions now as a 24-year-old volunteer in Greensboro. And I sort of liked these people I was, was around. They were fun to be with. And I, I just remember going to my first leadership meeting. And in Greensboro, most of the volunteers there were adults. It didn't just happen to have a lot of college students there. And I was, you know, you've ever felt like this? You're sort of the new new guy and you just can't kind of wait to be an insider and sort of see what happens on the inside of these meetings. And I just couldn't wait to get in there. And I thought, this is going to be just fascinating and fun. And you know what I found? I found adults weeping. For the souls of high school students. And, and I'm embarrassed to admit that that was the last thing I thought I would find. Planning, maybe. Making young life like a project. And at that point, I began to understand ministry was not a project to complete. It was a passion to have for God's people. And we see that in Nehemiah. He has a passion first for God's people. When he looks at the city and he sees the incredible trouble of the city, he's constantly passionate and praying about the city. And I wonder for us, is our primary motivation to build a church because we have a passion for the lost people in our city? Or are we just wanting to build something that we can go stay in? We have to really think about what our motives are. And we see right here, he, Nehemiah is going to use his business smarts here in a minute. But in the beginning, he's passionate about the lost people in the city of God. And that's what's driving Nehemiah in the beginning. The second line that we see on his blueprint Verse four, I, I continue to fast and pray before the God of heaven. If you read through the book of Nehemiah, there's at least 12 different prayers that Nehemiah offers. So Nehemiah, the businessman, has a passion. Nehemiah, the businessman, has a great prayer life. One of them is very long. You'll see it here in chapter one, verse five through eleven. And it's very intentional. Nehemiah is sitting down. He's thinking through. It's a great prayer to think about and to use in your own prayer life. Some of them are long. Then you get to this encounter with the king. Remember, he's coming up to the king and the king says, what do you want? To, what do you want? And what does he do? I prayed and then I said. So you might just shoot up an error prayer. Many of you are familiar with that. You get to a point and you go, somebody asks you a question. You go, oh, no, I wasn't right. I wasn't really prepared for that right now. And you just say, Lord, help me. And then you begin to say something. That's OK. You don't you don't want to be that your only prayer life. But that's a good that's a good start on something. And so we'll see that Nehemiah is a real man of prayer. The the. Maybe the thick line, the thick, fixed line in this drawing for Nehemiah in his leadership is prayer and fasting before the Lord. 
When I began to think about this prayer time, I really thought of it in these two ways. One, I thought about what are the other great projects that were built on the foundation of prayer? One of them is rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. But if you look through the Bible and through history, what other kind of projects were done and the foundation was built on prayer? We find before Jesus begins his ministry, he's baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. And then what happens for the next 40 days? Prayer and fasting. Before he begins his ministry, the foundation of his ministry, the same line that Nehemiah is using is the same line that Christ is using. When Christ calls his 12 disciples, what does he do before that? He goes up on the mountain all night praying and fasting for this new group of people who are going to spread the gospel around the world. The night before what we might call the foundation of our faith, the foundation of our faith, the, the crucifixion of Christ, the, the, the central point of all of human history, the night before that event's going to take place, what is Jesus doing? He's praying. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. The disciples now have moved to Antioch. And there's a group of uh, new believers in Antioch. And we haven't had really the first missionary journey by Paul and Barnabas. And it begins in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. And the Holy Spirit moves on that group of people when they were doing what? Praying and fasting together. Acts 13, 2. Hudson Taylor is a famous missionary to China. And his son wrote a biography about him after his death. And this is one of the lines that his son says. For 40 years, there was not one day that the sun rose on China that I didn't find my dad praying for that nation. For 40 years. And that work is still going on. And I tell you, it was a tough, it was tough for me to read that. Because for five years, I haven't been found every single day praying for the lost people of the city. And so we have to examine our prayer life. Is it really what's undergirding everything? See, because what can happen as a businessman is the first thing you say is, I see a problem. And I've got to go address the problem. And you don't have a space to allow God to say, this is what you need to do. And this is the real problem. You might look at something and say, well, that's the problem. God said, you just don't see it yet. You need some more space. You ever get in a conversation with your wife? Now, this doesn't happen to me. I've just heard people say this. But uh, you get in a conversation with your wife and she's just exercised over something. And it usually doesn't have a big impact on your life. But she just is ready to tell you everything about it. And you patiently listen. And it sort of at the first, you know, end of the breath, you go, well, this is what you ought to do. And you click off sort of three things and it's kind of the end of the discussion. How about that bear game tonight, honey? I mean, you just kind of move on. 
and, and you just assess something and boom, you, you've got the answer for it. That's the easiest thing in the world to see a problem and then just on your own, make up out of your head. Here's the answer. And Nehemiah, the businessman, doesn't take that model. He sees the problem. He prays and fasts about the problem. And he gives God, in, in this time, four months. He doesn't say anything to the king in chapter 2 until four months later. How much of a different perspective might you have on the problems you encounter every day if you just gave some more space for God to work in? Instead of saying, I'm just immediately reacting to something, you just say, God, I'm just going to give you some space. I may not have seen the situation right. I may not have assessed it right. I may have this urgent desire to do something. And just a day later, you go, oh, gosh, I'm so glad I didn't say that. I'm so glad I didn't go in the direction. That would not have been the right thing. And we see Nehemiah. He's giving God some space here. The second thing is I, I, I just wondered what must have gotten worked out in Nehemiah's prayer time in this space. First, I, I looked at what other things were built on prayer. And then I began to wonder, well, what in this space was being worked out in the life of Nehemiah? He, he received the word back and it must have seemed hopeless. I mean, here he is 800 miles away from the problem. And even though he's got a great position, he doesn't have anything near the resources to address the problem. He he finds out as you read through the book, people, once he decides he wants to act on the problem, people immediately want to kill him. And then the people he's gotten to help are discouraged. Now, how many are volunteering for this project at this point? Far removed, few resources. When you get involved, the first thing you hear is negativity. And then the people you're hoping are going to work for you are discouraged and they don't think it can happen. And that's the situation Nehemiah finds himself in. And and I want us to pay careful attention. Before Nehemiah works anything out before men. He works everything out before God. You might be so easily attracted, as I said, to immediately enter into the realm of mankind. And I want to shift your view and say, be easily drawn into the Lord. Begin to lay out your case before the Lord. Begin to to pray before the Lord and say, these are all the things that I see. These are all the things that I think would be good ideas. And just lay out that case before the Lord before you begin to lay out your case Before men. And that's what Nehemiah does. And we see in his prayer, his helplessness really begins to turn towards hope. His depression begins to turn towards being decisive. He goes from being beaten down to being bold. Nehemiah's prayer opens up the door to God's plan. Nehemiah was... In prayer, like you might be on a highway that opens you up to a brand new frontier. Or a river that opens you up to the ocean of God himself. You've just gotten on this little highway, but when you get into prayer, it opens up things, possibilities you never would have thought possible through prayer. 
Some of us here have pretty substantial projects in our lives. It might be a child. It might be an issue at work. It might be a spouse. It might be just some internal project that you haven't really even shared with anybody. The, the first thing to do is try to lay it out in prayer before the Lord. Before you begin to take control of any situation, allow God to work in that situation first. Secondly, I would make an application in this way. You hear we need to raise $2.8 million. And you go, you know, the last time I checked, I just didn't have that much in my change drawer. And then you start, well, gosh, I'm pretty stretched right now. How is it that I could really be engaged in this project with any significance? And what I'd want you to do is spend time praying about it. Just lay it out before the Lord. He might have things that you couldn't possibly see right now that he can say, yes, you can do this because I'm going to do this through you. And you're never going to get there by just looking at you and your spouse and your checkbook first. You've got to look at God and say, God, what might you have for me in this project? You'll see here on the second bullet point for your blueprint is... How you're making plans to be committed to prayer. But then it's going to ask you this question about fasting and prayer. And I'm asking you as a member of Christ Community Church to pick a day during the five week campaign and say, I'm going to fast that day. Now, that may be a meal. It may be two meals. It may be a whole day. You may fast from something. It might not be food. It might be something else. But pick something that's regularly part of your day. So that when you miss it, you'll just start noticing, hey, I'm used to coffee and that's the only thing I've given up. But man, when I don't have it, I'm aware of it. And maybe everybody else is aware of it. (laughs) But at least pick something that you can say at this point, I need to pray. I just need to be aware of praying at this point. So begin now. Think about what day you're going to choose and what you're going to fast from. Our third line in the blueprint, we have passion, we have prayer, and the third line is planning. You know, I like the Chronicles of Narnia, and I love this line from the silver chair. Jill has entered into Narnia, and she's crying. And then this Lewis says this about her. Crying is all right in its way while it lasts, but you have to stop sooner or later. And then you still have to decide what to do. You hear that? Look, it's okay to cry. That's fine. But at some point, you have to stop and decide what to do. And so Nehemiah, appropriately, he weeps over the lives of the people. But we can't just keep weeping. We've got to begin praying, and then we've got to begin planning. And that's exactly where Nehemiah's business instincts begin to kick in. And for four months, he begins to make a plan. And we know he begins to make a plan because when you look in chapter 2 and he's asked by the king, what is it you want to do? He begins to detail all the stuff that he needs. And then you see again, when he arrives at Jerusalem, what's the first thing he does? He inspects all the wall, goes around every gate to say, let me make a plan. Let me assess the situation and then see how I can get involved in the situation. Prayer doesn't negate the need for planning. 
Prayer is the foundation for planning. And so we might move from weeping, from passion to prayer, but eventually you've got to make a plan. And so this is what I would encourage you to do as you begin to pray, as you have the scriptures open before you, as you begin to assess what is my real desire in this situation, have a pencil in your hand. Because God might begin to speak through the word to you and you're going to want to write that down. And you just write down, maybe for a week, maybe for two weeks, maybe for a month. How is it God is speaking through this process to me? And how then can I say, God, as far as I can tell, this is the plan. I mean, you don't know for sure. You're just trying your best to write it down and say, this is the plan. I have this feeling in Nehemiah 2, verse 4 and 5, when Nehemiah had had his plan and he gets before the king and the king says, okay, Nehemiah, what is it you're requesting? That Nehemiah was a little bit shaken. Like, well, here goes. I mean, it's a pretty ambitious need we have out here. And he doesn't know for sure how the king is going to respond. I want you to be very comfortable with this. Next week, when you get a building design, and you get all this kind of information that you're going to get next week. I want you to know that the building group that's been meeting for now nearly two years, a year and a half in the capital campaign, everything they've thought through has been well planned. Every room, every wall, every door, every hallway, everything has been well planned. But we just stand on this edge saying we don't know. We've done our best to pray. We've done our best to to have the right desire. And now we're getting to the place to say, well, we're going to stand before the king and say, God, this is the best that we've got. And if you bring us the money, this is what we're going to build. And if you don't, we're not going to build that. But we've done all we can to get to this point. And now together we're going to see the plan together. We're going to lay the plan out before God and we're going to say, God, This is the best we got. Now, if this is what you want, then you raise up the people and you raise up the funds to make that happen. That's exactly what Nehemiah does. He lays it out before the king and he says, "Okay, this is what I've got to have. And then the king gives him everything he could possibly want. So he makes a plan. Finally, the people's participation. You read this really through the following chapters three and four. But you'll see it here at the end of chapter or at the end of our reading in chapter two, verse 17. Nehemiah had done all his expecting, inspecting, verse 11 through 16. And then in some meeting, he gets his people together in verse 17. And the first thing he does, he says, I would just want to remind you of the terrible condition that we're in. So he wants them to have the same passion. In verse 18, he tells them of the hand of God. He tells them about the plan that he's set before the king. He believes the hand of God is with him. Verse 17, Nehemiah asks for everyone's participation. Come. Come. He doesn't say, help me build. I'm planning on building. Get on board with, let us build together. 
And if you read through chapter three and four, you'd notice how every family got together and they said, this part of the wall I'm going to build. Some people had big, important parts of the wall. Some people had gate structures. Some only could take a little piece of the wall. But every family began to move out across the city and say, I'm going to take these bricks and I'm going to take my resources and my time. And I'm going to make sure this part of the wall is going to fit and stay. And all these families get together and build the wall of Jerusalem in 52 days. If you're a member at Christ Community Church. I don't have to remind you that we live in a city and we live in a world that is in desperate, eternal trouble. Those who live without Christ face the wrath of God Almighty. I believe God's hand is on Christ Community Church. To begin to proclaim the gospel, to begin to get people to come in the safety of the walls of the gospel and understand that Christ has taken the wrath of God off of them and they can live at peace. And I am asking you, come. Let's build together. Let's pray. Lord, this is a word from Nehemiah. And we just we're reading it today, not by accident, but by design. And we're trying to pick up these pieces of his blueprint. I I have no doubt that you want us to have a passion for people who live in broken situations who live in shame and disgrace. And I pray that that's the heartbeat of Christ Community Church. I have no doubt that you want us to be a people of prayer and we want to give you the right amount of space to operate in. But then you have gifted us individually and as a group to make a plan. Some to think about design, some to think about the interior, some to think about the land, some to think about a program, some to think about all kinds of things. And we've come together and we've made a plan. And then one person has to stand up and ask the people to come and begin to put that plan into action with your favor. So I'm asking for your favor On this project. And I'm asking these people to come and take part of the building. Lord, that's that's laying it out before you. Lord, I'm aware in Isaiah 49 that you look down and you see our walls. And some of us here live totally unprotected lives. Our walls are completely destroyed and the enemy has his way with us without effort. That's the most important thing here, not a not a building. Is a person because you are taking living stones. To make your temple, you no longer reside in a temple that is made by human hands.
We are your temple. And so I pray for these people who have weaknesses or broken places in their walls, that you might strengthen them. That you might send somebody to their lives and say, I'll help you build this part of your wall back. Lord, as we take this offering, you've blessed us in so many different ways. And I pray that you would take this and just multiply it in a way that would lift up the name and the glory of Christ. In that name we pray. Amen.